the Desperate for Hope podcast, conversations about suffering with Vanitha, the show where we're honest about the realities of suffering while staying anchored in the goodness of God. I'm Vanitha Reisner, and thank you for joining me and my guests who are well acquainted with suffering, but have found their hope in God in the midst of their pain. Davey, welcome to the Desperate for Hope podcast. I am so excited about our conversation. So thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thank you, Vanitha. This is just such an honor. I'm really excited to be joining with you as well. Well, we've never met in person. The first time we met virtually, yeah. I was on your podcast That's and right. really That's wanted right. to hear about your story, but didn't get to yeah. really hear the full story. So I would love for you to just start by maybe sharing with our audience just what you're doing now, where you live, sure. and then maybe jump into your story. Sure. Yeah. I live in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I live there with my wife, Christy, and our three kids, Natalia, who currently at the time of this recording is nine, Weston, who is eight, and Cohen, who is three years old. And we are a blended family. Um, all three of our kids are firstborns. So we have quite the... And on top of that, we have two dogs, a Great Pyrenees and a Miniature Dachshund. Couldn't be more opposites than those two. And so everyone in our house is fighting for Alpha. It is a busy, crazy house in the Blackburn household. <laughs> um, but what we do as a family, it's really a, a, a very mission missional thing for our entire family. It's a, this feels like a, a life calling is to help people heal. So we help people in trauma, tragedy, and major life transition. We help them discover purpose in their pain. Our kind of big mantra is that um, we want to help people partner with God to take back their story, no matter what they've gone through. And so our ministry is called Nothing is Wasted Ministries. And, um, and the main thread of what we do is we have a course called Pain to Purpose that individuals can take online as a self-directed study. They can hire one of our certified coaches as our, in our ministry, or they can take it at a local church. Um, and so we help churches create environments where people can unpack their pain, heal from it, and move forward on on purpose and, and in mission in wow, the local church. what a so, great, great yeah. thing to do, because I think people yeah. often get so stuck in their pain, and to really Absolutely. have somebody to guide them is huge. Yeah, yeah. So, so I spend most of my weekends traveling and speaking at different churches all around the country, uh, just flew in from Denver this morning at one o'clock in the morning, speaking at <laughs> a church out there. So sorry if I have a little bit of jet jet lag and got up this morning to take my kids to school. I'm just like wiping the uh, sleepies away from my eyes a little bit. But uh, while I was out there, I got to do a little skiing. So that's fun. Oh, you know, good. you can always okay. always parlay some fun into it. Oh, yeah, good. no, it's a such a rich, rich and bittersweet calling that the Lord has us in because. Like most people who get into the work that we do, Vanitha, we help people because we've experienced our own pain. Yes. And we have walked through the valley of the shadow of death. And um, God has been good through all of that. And we can we can say that now. Sometimes we don't feel it in the middle of it. But we can look back and see that you know goodness and mercy have been following us through the entire journey. Oh, um, and so I'm, I'm happy to share you know our story, too, and... Yeah, please. The birth just, of, yeah. of what happened, you know, the birth, how, how this ministry was birthed. So I was a pastor and a church planter in Indianapolis in 2015 with uh, my late wife, Amanda. If you were to come over to our house and, you know, visit with us for dinner at the beginning of 2009 or 2015, you would, you would uh, be with, you know, me and Amanda and um, our son, Weston. And, um, and you would be celebrating with us that we were about to have our second. And so uh, the fall of 2015, as we kind of came around, we, we had, you know, we had been planting this church for a couple of years and planting a church is a very difficult process. It was what's called a parachute operation, which means we did not have any kind of networks, friendships, community in Indianapolis. We actually lived in South Carolina and the church that we were a part of launched us to Indianapolis to start a church out of nothing. And so I always joke that in church planting, you feel like God's called you to plant a forest, but dropped you in the middle of a parking lot. <laughs> and so you're just spending so much time trying to, and energy and effort and relational equity, trying to build this little group of people that would buy into a vision of a life-giving church and, um, and really invest in that with you. And so we finally got to a place at the fall of 2015, where I remember my late wife, Amanda, looking at me and going, I think this is actually going to happen. Like, this is going to take root. We had just um, 
had like three or four Sundays where we were over a hundred people each week. And we're like, man, there's like a critical mass here. It feels like we've got some momentum and it's been so many years. And we're just kind of thinking about the next season and dreaming for and planning for the next season. And, um, and in November, 2015, November 10th, I left to go to the gym early on a Tuesday morning. And, uh, that's a, it was a normal thing for me to do on a Tuesday was to get up super early, go to the gym, usually shower at the gym, go to Starbucks and start writing the sermon for the next Sunday. And, um, I happened to forget to pack my bag for showering at the gym. And so I knew I needed to go back home. And when I came back home, um, I walked into my house and walked into my, and what many people would describe to be their absolute worst nightmare. Amanda was lying on our living room floor and she was um, surrounded by blood. When I rushed to her side and, and tried to see how she was, she was unconscious, but she was breathing very laboriously. And I thought for that moment, you know, that those are those moments, Vanita, that are just, they're indescribable. Everything, you kind of go into tunnel vision. Everything goes fast motion and slow motion all at the same time. And your brain is acutely picking up on all of these minor details and then everything else just kind of fades in the background and you're just in panic mode. And I, that's where I found myself. And, and so, um, I quickly called the paramedics. I thought that something had gone wrong with our pregnancy. And to me, I was thinking, okay, try to stay calm. If, if we just get her to the hospital, everything's going to be, it's going to be okay mm -hmm. because nobody, nobody thinks that something this upending would happen to them, especially when you have answered a call of ministry and of church planting to go and follow this, what already to us seemed like this daunting, intimidating thing to go and be in the center of God's will to plant a church. And when you're a pastor's family and you're thinking, okay, we're building the kingdom, we're, we're following you, God, you kind of have this unwritten agreement with God that you're that he's going to protect your family, you know? Hey, God, we're going to do some really difficult, hard things to help build your kingdom, but you, you, you've you got my family's back. And so you just don't think that something tragic like this would happen. And so all I could think about was something's gone wrong with the pregnancy. If we get her to the hospital, she's going to be okay. Maybe we've lost the baby, but, but Amanda's going to be fine. And I get to the hospital and doctors and investigators inform me that she has three bullet wounds and that the third is um, through the back of her head. And um, they have her kept alive right now on machines, and they're going to see if they can operate in any way to remove this bullet, but it did not look good. And Vanitha, I don't know what came over me in that moment there in the waiting room, but I, it was either faith or shock or some weird combination thereof. But I grabbed the doctor's hands, and I prayed the biggest, boldest prayer of faith that I could muster up. And I said, God, I know right now there are people in this hospital they are trusting in science, they're trusting in reason. They have no idea. They, have, they don't have any context for miracles, but you're setting up our family for a miracle so that people will come to know you and you're going to sweep a revival across this hospital. And I just knew it. I, knew, I had so much faith that, and I couldn't fathom any other result. And 24 hours later, Amanda was pronounced officially deceased. That was November 11th. 2015, which happened to be four years to the day that we packed a moving van and moved from South Carolina to Indianapolis to start this church. So in, in seemingly overnight, I lost my best friend, my soulmate, my ministry partner, and um, now I'm a single dad trying to figure out how to grieve through all of this and pastor a church who is deeply grieving from the loss of Amanda too. I just cannot imagine going through that. What kind of questions did you have of God when, you know, you prayed this huge prayer yeah. with the physician and just really trusted, like, we've given up everything, God. Of, of course you're going to come through. Of, of course people right. who've trust you and love you and are in ministry, of, of course you're not going to let this happen. Like, yeah. Tell me about what happened to your faith and the questions after that. Yeah. Well, you know, my my faith was definitely shaken. It wasn't shaken to the standpoint of, I don't believe there's a God anymore, which some people, they go that route. They're like, if there is, you know, there's the big question. If there is a, if there is a loving God out there, 
how in the world could there be pain and suffering? And I, I wasn't at that place, and, and mostly because I had a really, really incredible foundation of faith. I have a very rich heritage. Um, I've watched a lot of family members go through difficult things. I've watched God show up for them in the midst of tragedy, and I just never thought it would be my story. My theology at the time, I wouldn't have been able to tell you this, but when you face a tragedy like this, you face some kind of loss, grief, pain, hardship, trauma, whatever you want to call it, however you deem your circumstances, when you face that, it forces you to confront what you really do believe about God, what you really do believe about yourself, and what you believe about this world. And trauma can cause us to, to start to see those three things in a very skewed lens. And it can also help us to see those things in an even clearer lens if we allow God to walk us in the valley. And so at, at, at that point, my, my belief about God was, God, as long as I follow after you, as long as we are men and women of integrity, as long as we are following your will, as long as we are sacrificing for your kingdom, everything's going to be fine. We're going to be, for lack of a better term, we're going to be blessed. Mm -hmm. So on some level, I had kind of a functional prosperity theology. And this type of tragedy confronted that head on where all of a sudden now I go, okay, is God, are you really good? Are you really, because you could have prevented this. You could have stopped this. Why, how in the, why in the world would you allow something this horrific and heinous to happen to a, a woman who is, in, in my, from my perspective, probably the purest woman this world has ever seen? I mean, this Amanda was unbelievable. She was, she, was a, she was a rare, rare kind. And I, I couldn't reconcile that. That was very difficult. And so it took several months of actually me stuffing and suppressing some of these really big questions before I realized that instead of stuffing and suppressing them, I had to take them to God. Mm. And they're questions like, why? You know, why me? How could you? Um, why did you not prevent? And what began to happen in my spirit, Manitha, is I began to hold this grief in and suppress it and try to cope with it by putting on kind of a, you know, I was a pastor, right? So I'm supposed to have the right answers, supposed to have the right, but, but inside I was being eaten up. So I could stand in front of national television and kind of out of muscle memory, share things like, Hey, I'm, choosing to forgive the three men who broke into my home, these three perpetrators. And while that's true, it was a choice that I made, there was still so much emotion beneath the surface that had to get untangled for the next several months. And it began to make me physically sick because what I wasn't doing is I wasn't taking those questions to the Lord. Mm. I was just stuffing them and bottling them up, thinking, I, I can't I can't, like, I'm not a good Christian, so to speak, if I ask these kinds of questions. Now I believe quite the opposite. Right. Oh, I actually wow. believe now that um, you should question God. Yeah. That it's actually in the questioning and the wrestling where we find the richness, the mysteries of who God is, where he reveals his character, his goodness, where he begins to show us how big he is, how great he is, and yet how much he wants this personal, intimate relationship with us. And he begins to show us where he is in the midst of our stories and how he is intervening in our stories. And you begin to understand he doesn't always intervene to prevent things from happening to us, but he always intervenes to produce things from that. Mm, you know, even Jesus said himself, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have sorrow. He said, but, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And in many other places in scripture, we see this. Romans 8, we see you know, that he works all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Well, together means the really great seasons of life, but also the really bitter seasons of life. Yeah. That he works those together to produce something great in us and through us and for other people. And so, you know, Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians that this light and momentary affliction, although it doesn't seem light and momentary, it's producing for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs the former. Mm. Now, all of these things, I could not come to the understanding of and, and really experience the depth of it unless I took these really difficult questions to God. And um, in taking those difficult questions to God, God personally shows up and reveals himself to us. Mm. 
but it only happens when we actually ask God those difficult questions, the why questions, the what now, the how could you, the all of those things. Exactly. I mean, that that so resonates with me because, I mean, that's why I wrote the Bible study because we ask questions. And I was just like you after my son died. I got up at his funeral. God never makes a mistake. And then, you know, you can get divorced from the words that you say when you're in some kind of ministry, like you say the right yeah. stuff. Right. But in some ways, and I'm sure there are people listening that are like, yeah, I've been afraid to actually voice the questions because people often say, yeah. you know, I never ask God questions, never ask God why. And I'm not sure why they say that, but it it just puts God at a distance from us. Yes, right. So I, w- I love what you said about that. Yeah, and what, what Jesus wants to do is he wants to walk with us in it, mm-hmm. right? That's why Psalm 23, 4 says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Well, if you look at the entirety of the first part of that that passage, you see God being talked about as some kind of far off, aloof God, you know, specifically the, the good shepherd, right? The, um, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want... Talks to, it talks about him in the third person, but then all of a sudden you you get into the valley and it flips, the tense flips to the second person for you are with me. It becomes very personal. And that's what happens in the valley that we continue. Now, here's here's the thing. We go to God, we ask these questions like Job, right? And we're looking for some kind of explanation as if that's going to help us somehow. And I think, Vanitha, it is an imperative step for us to walk through to ask those questions, Right. We cannot skip that step in mm-hmm. terms of walking with God in grief, walking with God in trauma. However, what we realize as we ask those questions, as we wrestle with God, is that we actually, our soul needs something deeper than explanation. Mm-hmm. Our soul needs incarnation. Mm-hmm. Our soul needs God's presence, right? Because it's, it's in the fullness, uh, it's, it's in God's presence where we experience the fullness of joy, where we experience peace. And really, in the that's what we need in the midst of a storm is is peace, not the storm to be calmed around us, but peace in the midst of the storm. So that Isaiah forty three is true, where it says, "Though you walk through the waters, you will not be overwhelmed." Right? Though you walk through the fire, it will not burn you. And so th- this is what you begin to discover as you ask God these questions, similar to Jacob wrestling with God. Right? Like here's this moment in Scripture where this is this contends with everybody who says you shouldn't question God. God put this moment in scripture where he, he specifically said, hey, I want to show you the moniker, the namesake that I gave my people. And I want to feature this moment right here as this is, this is how my people are going to be marked. I'm going to take them from Jacob to Israel, right? One who strives and deceives and heel grabs to get what they want to one for whom God fights, mm. Right? But that only happens in the wrestling, where as Jacob is wrestling with God, what, what happens is he, he, God breaks his hip, heals him in a moment, right? All in an instant, breaks his hip, heals him, and then blesses him, changes his name. Mm-hmm. And this is the journey that we take with God as we walk through grief, as we walk through trauma, as we walk through pain, is that as we wrestle with him, now he's going to begin to bless us through this. And he's going to change our identity, change the direction of our life, change the the purposes that he has for us into these redemptive purposes. And so I think it's imperative that we begin to wrestle with God and ask for that kind of explanation, but then also know that God's going to bring incarnation, his presence in that, and that becomes the healing salve to our soul. Yes. As Jesus walks with us in the valley of the shadow of death. Mm-hmm. And then he'll show up in personal ways that are like, okay, I, man, that, okay, I can't, I can't argue with that. Thank you, Lord, for bringing that kind of personal healing into my heart. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Especially just thinking, you know, you started talking about Job too. Job had all these questions, but the questions were ultimately not answered the way he asked right. them, but God gave him his presence. And Job, that's right. like, I've I've seen you now, and that's yeah. changed everything, you know, before I just heard. And, and it happens, it's facilitated through those questions. Like, yes. let me give you a for instance. I remember one time I was, you know, as I'm wrestling through all of this, I remember, I don't know if I was reading in scripture or if it just kind of came to recall where, you know, we have a, we have a high priest who is empathetic with everything that we've experienced, right? Um, and so I'm going, how could that be true, God? Like, how could you know what it's like to lose a wife? 
Like this was one of my questions in in rebuttal and anger toward him. How could you know? And in just this sweet, still, fatherly voice, the Lord said, David, I know exactly what it feels like to lose a bride. Sin came in and stole my bride from me. And I remember having this personal moment with the Lord. It was just me and him. And it was like, like it took my breath away, Vanita. It was like, oh my gosh, you do know what this is like. And then he goes, and then I laid my life down to bring my bride back. And, and so that it was like the Lord was going, Davey, what I want to do is I want you to partner with me to take back your story. Mm. Partner with me to, to now move into redemptive purposes, but it's going to require sacrifice and laying your life down. Yeah. And it was like, oh, you know, so he starts to do these like personal things. I probably, I don't know. I don't know anybody else that I've talked to that's had that moment with God. And likewise, if you have personal moments and your trauma that you've walked through that nobody else would be able to share, that's what's so beautiful about a relationship with Jesus Mm. and walking with him through pain and suffering. It's so custom designed. It is. It is. And I mean, I feel like through suffering is really when we get to hear God's voice clearly. You know, I feel like I knew God's voice, you know, through scripture and at times, but there was something so clear about God's voice in suffering. I don't know if you've felt that way as well. Oh my goodness, yes. So <clears throat> one of the things that the reason our ministry is called Nothing is Wasted is because even from the outset, while we were in the hospital, we were waiting for test results to come back to see if they were going to be able to operate, if there was any way for Amanda to be revived. And um, we're sitting in the hospital room where I'm sitting on on the other side of the bed from her sister. It's just the two of us, her sister and I sitting there with Amanda. It was incidentally beneath the same sides of the hospital bed that we were sitting on 15 months earlier when Amanda was bringing Weston into the world. So here we are in a very different circumstance, looking, looking like we're going to be saying goodbye to Amanda. And I knew that if she could hear anything, um, that she would want to hear Elevation Worship. And so I put on Pandora radio station on a phone at the foot of her bed, Elevation Worship. Now, Pandora is randomized. You know, it's not, you don't get to choose which song you're going to listen to first. You just choose the radio station and then it picks it for you. Well, the first song that came up was the song, Nothing is Wasted by Elevation Worship. And it's like, it, even in that moment, in this, the, the gravest, darkest moment that I had ever stepped into, the Lord reached down and it's like heaven touched earth. And he was and it, it, just in this very personal way, he goes, hey, this, this is not going to turn out the way that you want it to turn out. But I'm here and I'm going to walk with you in this and I'm not going to waste this. There's going, I'm going to bring meaning to this. And what that did, Vanitha, is that it, it kind of um, in some ways tripwired me into remembering what Amanda did as a hobby. And she was turning into a business. She would restore furniture. So she had started to build up a reputation in our city where she was, you know, taking this furniture, restoring it and taking it to, you know, uh, markets and different antique stores and stuff and, and turning this furniture for a profit. And she would ask me to pick up this dresser that someone had thrown up, thrown out on the side of the road as I'm coming home from work. And I'm like, literally someone threw this out. They discarded it saying it, they, there is nothing you can do about this. And I brought it, I'd bring it home. And first time I did this, I said, what in the world are you going to do with this? And she said, Davey, trust me, give me a little time and I'm going to turn this into something beautiful. Hmm. And she would do it over and over and over. It just, it, it never ceased to amaze me what she would do with these pieces of furniture that people had thrown out and discarded as trash. Wow. And the Lord brought that back to my recall saying, Davey, I know this looks like a situation that cannot be repurposed, that cannot be restored or redeemed, but trust me, give me a little time and I'm going to turn this into something beautiful. And so in, it, it was over and over and over, Vanitha. I mean, I can tell you story after story after story after story of God showing up in very personal, intimate ways where you go, only God, yeah. only God. And what that does is that reminds me that, okay, he has been in my story. He's been in the details of that. And so I can trust him because of his past faithfulness, I can trust him that his fu- he's going to be faithful in the future, right? Mm-hmm. The best predictor of God's 
future faithfulness is his past provision. Yeah. Yes. And so you can you can track that and go. This is why the Israelites would would set up, you know, altars, stone monuments to say, oh, remember God did this. Remember God over and over. You see, remember, remember, remember. And so, as you begin to experience God in these personal ways, it begins to build your faith anew to go, okay. The next trial, the next storm, the next thing that we go, because inevitably there will be one. I can trust God that he's going to, he's going to carry me through this. Mm-hmm. And he'll be like, a, as Isaiah 30 says, a voice whispering to me, this is the way, walk in it. Yeah. Though we give you the bread of adversity, the water of affliction, the teacher will hide himself no more is what Isaiah 30 says. Mm. Yeah. And you really do see that in suffering that your teacher doesn't hide himself anymore. Yeah. I love that verse too. And I just want to go back to something you just mentioned. So your ministry is called Nothing is Wasted, sort of pain to purpose. And this idea of purpose... I deeply believe in suffering. God is sovereign. God brings things into our lives. But today, there's a lot of people that really push against that. Yeah. What would you say to that? Like, why has purpose been comforting to you? Mm. Yeah, well, that's a really good question. You know, I think people begin to push against it because maybe they make it binary, as if it's like, okay, this purpose somehow outweighs or makes my suffering worth it. And it's like they're trying to put it on a balance, like a scale, like, okay, if there's enough purpose or enough impact, it's going to make this thing that I went through worth it. And I don't think that you can look at it binary in that way. I think when I when I think about purpose, I think more along the lines of meaning. Mm. Like this, what happened to us, what happened to many of you guys who are listening to this, it's senseless. There's no reason for it, right? There's no, not like... It, you can't quantify this thing. It's like, well, okay, well, here's the reason why this happened, and, and one plus one equals two, and, and you know, carry the three, and, and like all that. Mm-hmm. Oh, now it makes sense because there's a balancing of an equation. That's that's not how the mysteries of God work. That's how we in Western culture want to experience it because we're very Hellenistic and we're very chart oriented. But that's not beauty and meaning is something totally different. It's a lot more ethereal, a lot more something that we experience. And that's what purpose is. There's this thing that God does in this that both restores our soul, right? It it makes us whole again, and then gives us the opportunity to help other people in what we've gone through. So we're able to leverage what essentially, as scripture says, what the enemy meant for evil in our lives. We're able to leverage it with God in partnership with God for good and for the saving of many lives. And so what that does is it doesn't bring back your lost loved one. It doesn't it doesn't necessarily restore. We will one day experience full restoration. And that's the beauty of our faith. Mm-hmm. We do not grieve as those who have no hope is what scripture tells us. But but our sights are set on a different world, a different time, a different era where Jesus will fully eradicate sin, death, it, it will all be placed under his feet. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he will wipe away every tear from, from every eye. And there will be full and final restoration. He will make the thief repay seven times what he stole from us. But right now, as we're in the already not yet, we get to experience redemption. We get to experience this kind of partnering with God to leverage this pain for the good of other people. And and as I started studying, I started I was studying uh, Man's Search for Meaning. Mm-hmm. If I don't know if Victor you're familiar Frankel. with that book, yeah. Victor Frankel, mm-hmm. and he was a Holocaust survivor, and he, you know he was a contemporary of Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud, as a psychologist, said, "Well, man's chief aim is to avoid pain and to pursue pleasure. That's the whole meaning of life, right?" And Victor Frankel was like, "There's something deeper th- with that," and his faith informed a lot of that, but also his experience in Auschwitz and other concentration camps where he, he observed in his own heart as his manifesto, essentially, right, got stolen from him while he goes into this concentration camp. What kept him alive, right, as long as he was able to, you know, as long as he, he wasn't taken out of his own agency to, to kind of be thrown into one of these gas chambers, what kept him alive, kept him every single day, okay, I need, I've got hope, I've got hope, I've got hope, was purpose, He said, I've got to get out of here so I can bring to the world this thing that is so deeper, it's it's more existential than anything that 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 I am. And so when you begin to do something that is bigger and beyond you, 
that's for a much greater cause or a greater purpose, what it does is it begins to it begins to allow you to see I don't, not in any way minimize the pain that you've gone through, but it, it allows you to hold it up in 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 some ways next to this really large, grander thing that you're a part of. Right. And it kind of what it does is it it kind of simulates what what happened with Job eventually, mm-hmm. where he's questioning God, questioning God, questioning God, putting up his own righteousness kind of in his ledger going like, what did I, you know, how did I deserve this? And God's like, okay, hold on. Let's, um, were you there when I suspended the sun, the moon, and the stars? Like, were you? And, and Job all of a sudden realizes how, oh, okay, there's something much grander here. And I don't know why, Vanitha. Maybe it's because that's how we were created. That brings a sense of awe and brings a sense of healing mm-hmm. and brings a sense of like, wow, I get to be a part of something bigger than myself that really propels us forward. Yeah. I think that's what I mean by purpose. Yeah, no, and I love that. It's different for everybody, right? Yeah. But I, I like really appreciated the fact that you said, you know, it's not that we can say, well, you know, Amanda died because of this. Like we don't know that. Yes. But we know Ooh. that how that God is using it. You know, John Piper has this right. God is doing ten thousand things in everything he does. Yes. And you may know one or two of them. <laughs> right. So we may see something that God has done through it, but I think what people push against, which I understand is, you know, this happened so that, because we're not God, mm-hmm. we don't know, yeah. but we do yeah. see all the things that God brings out of something, not all of them. We see a very right. small fraction, but we see that God does bring redemption partially in this life and and obviously fully right. in the next life. So right. how would you say you've seen God's redemption in, in your pain um, so far on earth? Yeah, that's a really great question. I mean, I think in, in so many different ways. To me, as I share Amanda's story and her legacy, I mean, her her heart and her passion beneath it, if you knew her, was that people would come to know Christ. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what she lived for. I've never met a woman who was so selfless and and so sacrificial in just her life, like her calling. Um, you know, at 18 years old, when we first started dating, she and I were reading The Barbarian Way together, Erwin McManus, I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember that book, but... It's basically about the story of John the Baptist and like, what do you do? Where is your faith when God doesn't show up for you the way that you mm. thought he was going to, just oh. as John the Baptist experienced, right? Mm. Where he goes, wait, are you the Christ or should we expect someone else, right? Because yeah. I'm in prison. That's not how this was supposed to go down. And um, man, what's so crazy about that is that was a catalytic moment for her in saying, God, it doesn't matter what my what comes of my life. I just want my life to mean something for you mm. and mean something for the kingdom of God. And so there is this very real feeling that I have every time I step on a stage or every time I talk about Amanda's story on a podcast where I get to partner not only with the Lord in helping other people in their pain, bringing them hope in the midst of their pain, I'm partnering with Amanda too. Mm. And that feels very redemptive yeah. to me. Because I know, I know what her heart was. Her heart was, hey, let's bring as many people into the kingdom as we possibly can. And so I even tell my son that, you know, when he was little and we were wrestling with, through the loss of his mom and he'd say things, you know, he's three, four, five years old. He said, I want to just, I just want to go to heaven. I just want to go to heaven. I said, I do too. I do too, buddy. I want to see, I want to see your mom and I want to see, you know, I want to see Jesus. But this is what I would tell him. But we have so many people here on earth that we have been assigned and called to help. And when we help the last person that we're supposed to, then we get to go to be be with Jesus and we get to go see mom. And it's like this worldview that I'm trying to, I think I'm preaching it to myself too, but I'm also framing it for him. That's like, okay, we're here on temporary assignment. And so that is a redemptive thing for me. When I go and speak at places and I see people come to know Christ and I see people's eternities changed, altered forever because of Amanda's story, that's redemptive. Mm. And then what's really beautiful too is God, I call it the icing on the cake, right? Because I think that redemption by definition is that you are now, your your life is repurposed to help others. Like I think, I think redemption happens the moment you take your pain and you leverage it to help others. That's redemption. Mm-hmm. But I think God brings icing on the cake in each one of our stories too, to restore some things too here on earth that gives us a foretaste of the ultimate restoration that's going to happen one day in glory. Mm. And so for me, um, one of those things is uh, meeting my wife now, Christy. Yeah, tell me and even, 
even the way that it went down is a very redemptive thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because, um, spoil, I'll, I'll just go ahead and cut to the end of it. Her stepdad is one of the chaplains for the Marion County prison system. And he had been assigned to the three men that killed my wife. So Christy was at the time I met her at our CrossFit gym, just kind of random, um, random. Of course, there is <laughs> yeah, right. really no such thing. Did you know there's no such thing, Vanitha, and the Hebrew language is the word coincidence. <laughs> there's not a single concept for it, and many, you know, mm. Jewish people are going to contest that if there's no word for it in Hebrew, it doesn't actually exist. It was a man-made construct. Mm. Everything's providence, and so I meet her randomly, providentially in this CrossFit gym. Well, several of the folks in that CrossFit gym have been coming to the church I was pastoring. And so there was just a really cool community there. So she starts visiting and I'm no, like, this is the first time I had ever noticed anybody since Amanda passed. I was like, something about her. I could not get her off my mind for months and months and months. Now she avoided me like the plague. <laughs> and I, I Any you, know, now I no? you know, now I know why she really didn't want to be entangled in my story. Mm. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff, you know, she shared some of her story on our podcast. There's a lot of stuff in her past that contributed to this, you know, but really she was like, I, I, I'm connected to his story. I don't really want to be actually connected to his story. And so I had no idea about this. So I'm kind of pursuing her trying to, she, her previous marriage ended in a really painful divorce. So she had a daughter and single single mom checking her kid into our kids ministry. And I'm just noticed, I'm like, what? And then she starts serving in our inner city ministry, which is, was designed and birthed out of Amanda's death. We wanted to intercept kids and teenagers before they step into a life of crime related, drug related activity. And so we're, we're in this really like violent, rough part of our neighbor, rough part of our city in this neighborhood where we're serving alongside of a church and she's serving there. And I'm like, I can't, this doesn't make any sense. Here's this mom who's coming down in this inner city and she's working wow, there must be something intriguing about her. So finally, three, four months into observing her in all of this, I corner her very pastorally um, <laughs> in the CrossFit gym, and I begin to ask her about herself, and that's where she drops that on me. Mm-hmm. Hey, listen, my stepdad, and I'm like, wow. And I was actually in the process of finishing up the manuscript to my book to turn it into publishers, asking the question, God, what is, what's, where's the redemption in my story? You know, I was so fresh. I was just all about, I believe God's that nothing's wasted, but like, what, like, what is actually, does that, does that have any bearing here on earth too? You know? (laughs) And so here she is, she tells me this, that not only is it someone I'm intrigued by, I'm interested in, but she's that closely connected to, to a portion, like a part of redemption that requires me to step even further into courage, further into, wait, now I might actually have to have some conversations with these guys or God seems to be propelling me toward that. And so, um, so that's, that is one major redemptive thing is we ended up, you know, when she told me that, I just said, uh, do you want to go, you want, you want to go get some dinner sometime? (laughs) You know, I didn't know what to say, but we, we started dating. We got married at the end of 2017, blended our family, and then we had one of our own in 2019. Um, and so it it's really special because now what we do as a family, based, based on her story and my story colliding, is we help people heal. Mm. And we, I've always felt like ever since I was ever since I was 18 years old and God called me to ministry, I've always felt like that there was like a connection with Jim and Elizabeth Elliot for whatever reason. Mm. I just I felt so inspired by their story. I had no idea that my story would be so akin to their story. Mm. And so now I feel like, Vanitha, to be honest with you, and I, this is not anything to boast of me. This is something that in real time I'm wrestling with and struggling with the Lord is that God's calling me to visit at least two of these men in prison. And I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how I'm actually going to have the strength to do that, but, but to keep leaning into some redemptive, what I would call redemptive vengeance in my own story. Mm. And that is getting vengeance on the real enemy. Mm. The mastermind behind all of this, the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, as Jesus said. And if if I can bring as many people into the kingdom of God as possible, the real enemy is really ticked off by that. Mm. And if I can have some part in seeing 
the men who killed my wife, their lives be changed, the very instruments that the enemy used for death and destruction. Can you imagine wow. what kind of real, true vengeance that is? Wow. That's, a, that's a, as Scripture says, we're operating in a different realm. We don't fight a battle of flesh and blood. We don't have, we have weapons of righteousness. Wow. And, and so that's kind of where I've, I see our story moving in, in redemption. Wow. Well, I love that word, redemptive vengeance. You know, that enables us to forgive, I think, when we have that that's mindset. Right. Like, our battle is not flesh and blood. It's not that's these right. men that brutally killed your wife, but it is Satan who, you know, is part of their stories in terms yeah. of what brought them to that. So yeah. I just love to t- talk to you. Like, tell me about this process of forgiveness. And yeah. yeah. Well, you said it, right? Um, a lot of times people push back on forgiveness because they think it seems passive and they think it undermines this sense of justice that we have. We have been given a sense of justice. Mm-hmm. That's part of the Imago day. That's the image of God in us, right? God is a just God. So he makes things right. And so we have inside of us this idea where we go, that's not right. We need to make that right, right? Eternity is written on our hearts in that way. And, and yet when we try to go and make things right in our own human strength, we end up completely fumbling the ball. And we actually make things worse. We, we end up perpetuating pain typically is what we end up doing. And so um, the, what, what I began to realize in all of this is that the, the act of, because I'm a very action-oriented person, that's just by nature, I, um, I, I like to, and I, and I encourage people when they're walking through pain and suffering, especially trauma of some sort, it, it robs from you agency that God wants to invite you into places where you can regain a sense of God-given agency. Now, you do have to recognize the places that you're out of control, right? Then you trust the Lord with that. But then you also partner with Him in the things that He's put in in your hands to do something about, right? And so that actually begins to restore you too is the sense of agency again. And so I think some of that um, active role in forgiveness is actually doing, as Jesus said, is like not just letting go of it or releasing bitterness because— Bitterness is going to rot the hand that holds it. Like it just eats you up inside. It doesn't do anything to your perpetrators. It just destroys you and the people you love around you. It kind of oozes out sideways. So instead of just releasing that, which is an imperative part of it, right? Releasing that, but also playing an active role in it. And Jesus said things like, when your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat which is like, wait, what? When he's thirsty, (laughs) give him something to drink. Like actually go above and beyond and show compassion to him. So, so really there's kind of two parts to this forgiveness thing. There's mercy and there's grace. So mercy is not experiencing what we do deserve. So my part in showing mercy to these men is, Hey, I'm choosing not to hold this over you. That doesn't mean it abdicates them of the, the natural consequences of their their decisions. It doesn't mean it abdicates them from the process of the judicial system that we have here in the United States of America. But what it does mean is I'm not going to hold this over you. Mm. And some of it's more for my sake than it is for yours. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, so that's mercy. I'm showing mercy there. And then grace is, Hey, I'm actually going to show compassion towards you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to visit you in prison. I'm going to, and so you can do all of that while still having boundaries and potentially not even reconciling right. in relationship. Because there's a difference between reconciliation and forgiveness. Reconciliation, there, it requires repentance and an ask of forgiveness, right? A confession, a contrition of heart, and then you can reconcile. But you may not get that with someone who has perpetrated in your life. You may just have to do your part, and that's just extending forgiveness and releasing the bitterness in your own heart. Yeah. So that's the journey I've been in. It's, and it's a daily decision. This is not a feeling. This is not something like I wake up like, oh, you know, I feel like forgiving today. No, no, no. This is something that actually has to be put at the forefront where I have to decide this and go, okay, I'm going to choose forgiveness today. That's what I'm going to choose. Mm. Well, I'd love to know, sort of right before the podcast started, we just talked about the fact that your the trial just happened a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Just would love to know like sort of what has happened since in terms of the lives of these men and yeah. How that yeah. was for you in waiting years for that. Yeah. Well, technically, what happened was that there were three men. One was the actual shooter. Mm-hmm. The two accomplices took plea agreements with the state to testify against the shooter. 
which to be honest with you, really bolstered and solidified the case. Um, I actually spent some time on our podcast and nothing is wasted podcast doing uh, about a hour and a half reflection on the trial. So, um, if you ever, if you want to go and do a deep dive, you can go listen to that. But the, the process for the time in between waiting, uh, this is going to sound really trite because I'm trying to condense seven years of waiting in a couple of moments right now, Vanitha. But what I realized is that sometimes God delays things in our lives because either we're not ready and so it's a, it's, we're going, okay, I, I want this to be over. I want this. And God's like, okay, well, this is going to, this is going to crush you because I need to do some more to fortify your character, to strengthen you, to make you ready for this. Um, or the world's not ready for whatever God's bringing you into, or, you know, just if, if you overlay this to anything in your life where you feel like there's delay or you're like, come on, like, what is happening? Why does it feel like things are so slow? Why does it feel like God's withholding here? So either you're not ready or the world's not ready or, or what God is doing in this is, is he is trying to assemble the pieces to make sure that ultimately you can step into that next season. So for us, I mean, this was, this was very symbolic for us. It was seven years of a wait hmm. and seven is the number for perfection. Eight is the number for new beginnings. So in this journey, the Lord was going, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm bringing this to fruition to like, uh, now what's interesting is Amanda and I were married for seven years. So married for seven years, and then seven years later, it's brought to justice on, in the earthly sense. Mm -hmm. And even that number of perfection, the Lord used that to go, okay, this is just justice here on earth. It's not perfect justice. And now, Davey, I'm, I'm, I'm releasing you into a year eight, a new season. Mm -hmm. And... Vanitha, at this point right now, you know, there were some things and um, I didn't do any kind of, uh, I did some public appearances, but I kind of like held off and didn't do a lot of podcasts or didn't do a lot of, I had my own because I could kind of control that setting, but I didn't say yes to a bunch of appearances on news stations and stuff because I was asked not to by the prosecution because the more that I talked about, right, it could maybe potentially jeopardize the, the case or, you know, that sort of thing. So, we had to keep a lot of it at bay, which to me personally and in an earthly state felt like, man, we're holding back a lot of the ministry that we could be doing right now, right? We'd be very choosy with some of that stuff. Well, now the Lord's going, go, just do, okay, everything's closed, go. But I don't, looking back, I'm not sure my heart and our family would have been ready to just go and be released into it. I don't think our ministry would have been ready. So in seven years, as we're working through all of this stuff, there was some infrastructure being built in our ministry, in our family, in our hearts, in our character, that now everything we're ready to step into whatever this part of the redemptive journey God has for us on, whatever this new season is. Mm -hmm. So that's a little bit of what God's been teaching me in the kind of delayed yeah. season of that. I mean, they say, you know, God is never late, never early. He's always just on time, but we yeah. often want him to be in a very different he doesn't work on our timetable. No, he? he does not. <laughs> he does not. No, he doesn't. Well, I want to go back to something you said at the beginning, just talking about questions and wrestling with God. And I'm guessing there's people listening right now who have questions. Um, mm -hmm. Just what would you say to the person who's sort of doubting God and asking questions? What would you, what yeah. would you say to them? Well, I would encourage them. I would say, hey, keep asking those questions, but take them to God mm. because he, he can handle them. He's not intimidated by them. Um, find somebody that you can wrestle with that, that will hold space mm -hmm. for you to wrestle with. They won't try to resolve it for you. You know, Job's friends did a great job for seven days. And then they started trying to resolve some things or try to explain some things. They couldn't, it became binary for them. No, find somebody that's like willing to just kind of sit and wrestle and maybe even ask some questions with you. And so sometimes that can be done through a counselor. Mm -hmm. I would, I would recommend a counselor who has, who is um, faith-based, like biblically based, under, like has a really strong uh, Christian faith and they can walk you through that because I, I, I think it's imperative to have a biblical worldview as you're walking through this, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely, it can be integrated with other things, but I think to have that foundation of like, okay, we have a biblical worldview before anything else. 
And so I think that's a, that's a great thing. And and so, you know, start with that why question. Well, why, right? Mm-hmm. And then move more to like a, okay, a, a how question. Like, well, God, how are you showing up right now? Like to open your eyes and, and, and start to write some of those things down. How am I seeing you show up in other people's stories? This is why it's important to listen to other people's stories as they give testimony to how God has shown up in their lives. Revelation 12 says that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Mm-hmm. And so as we hear other people's stories, we we our, our faith is bolstered. We are borrowing faith from them until we can have some of our own, right? Yeah. So how are you showing up in other people's stories? Okay, how might you be showing up in my story too? And then what should I do about this? Right? Mm-hmm. And who do I need to do this with? I think those are some very important questions. Yeah. And and that's what I would encourage people. I'd kind of help them to frame some of those questions. Like, okay, these are some questions you should ask. Yeah. Take those I love to the that. Lord and take those to trusted close advisors. Yeah. How are you showing up is such a great question because it makes us pay attention, whereas often yeah. we don't pay attention. And God right. is showing up and showing up and showing up and Man. we're not looking. So I think that's a great I think when we ask the question and then looking around for the answer. Yeah. Um yeah. I think it's so great. true. Right. Yeah, you're going to you're, you're going to find what you're looking for in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. right? So you can look at the world through a very pejorative lens, or you can look at it through what Jesus calls, well, what the rabbis of Jesus's day would have called a good eye, mm-hmm. which is what Jesus was referring to when he talked about the eye being the lamp to the body. Wow. There was a common teaching of that day where the, the rabbis would say, okay, are you looking at things through a good eye or a bad eye? Mm-hmm. And a good eye is, okay, God must be up to, up to something here. Let me clue in a little bit more. This isn't going the way I thought it would. Let me kind of clue it. What's God doing? I can't wait to see what he's doing in this. Mm. A bad eye is like, oh, death and destruction. We're coming to the end of everything. It's a very negative perspective on our story, on our life. And so that's why Jesus goes, okay, what you let in is going to inform your soul. The eye is the lamp to the body. Is you going to let it in a good eye or a bad eye? Oh, I love that. And so I think that's where we get to choose. We can't choose what happens to us in life, right? But we do get to choose how we respond, how we see it, mm-hmm. and how we respond. Yep. Yep. I love that. Okay. Well, we're near the end of our time, but I um, just had a couple of more questions. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think having a sense of humor and suffering helps <laughs> yeah. a ton. Wondering if you feel that way, and and if so, like what makes you laugh? How do you do that? Oh uh, well, yeah, it absolutely does. What I love about my wife now, she's an Enneagram Seven. If you guys speak, no, Enneagram. I speak Enneagram fluently. So. Okay, and I'm an Enneagram Three. So what that means is I have zero hobbies and zero fun. I just work all the time. <laughs> but what I love, what what's been so, and one of the things that drew me to her is how much fun I had with her. Mm. Like she brought life and joy into my life. You know, it was like this, there's something that was just so lighthearted and and childlike and playful and fun. It was like, what? And I, I learned to laugh. Mm-hmm. And that was really important for me. Now, okay, I know I'm speaking a little bit facetiously and saying I learned to laugh. Of course I laughed before this, but but there was something about learning to laugh in the middle of grief mm-hmm. and holding those things in tension and being okay with like at one moment laughing like hysterically and at the next moment just crying mm-hmm. at the drop of a hat. And being okay with the mixture and the tension of both of those emotions. And I do think it's important. The way we laugh now, I mean, we will send each other these like, we're, we're like the classic send each other the memes or the like reels from Instagram that are just goofy and hilarious and ridiculous. So while I was away on the speaking trip and doing some skiing a couple, you know, for a couple of days, I've just got like a bunch of these Instagram reels that she sent over to me. And I'll just sit there and we'll laugh and we'll laugh. We will be lying in bed, sending each other these reels while we're in the same bed <laughs> together, just laughing, right? I think that's important. I think it's, especially in the ministry that we're doing, there's so much, what you could call secondhand trauma. Mm-hmm. I'm listening to people's stories all the time. Pet, they're heavy, they're painful, they're very burdensome. And so there are times you just have to kind of get up out of it and find levity. Uh, I think it's... Uh, Oh, gosh, I think it's John Eldridge that recently said this, that Jesus had to have some benevolent detachment, is what he said. Jesus benevolently detached when he went away to a quiet place and when he chose not to heal everybody, right? Like even the Son of God who could have just like, yep, everybody's healed, right? He chose there's certain ministry I'm going to do, and there's I'm going I'm to benevolently detach from others. And so I think it's imperative in what we do to, to just say, I'm going to take a break and just like have levity and be lighthearted because it feeds your soul. Yes. 
It does. It feeds your soul. It does. And um, so, yeah, that's those are some things. We, we love taking trips and traveling, and we love the beach. We love the mountains. We love just hanging out, the two of us. We love laughing with our kids and just being goofy with them. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you. I think that humor is a very, very important healing salve to the, to the soul. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I used to just make myself even watch like Tim Hawkins or stand-up comedy, just yes. something like I've got to, <laughs> if I don't have laughter in my life, maybe I'll you just watch, find it and yeah. Something. We do that often. And and sometimes it's really clean comedy mm-hmm. and sometimes it's not. I'll say, And you're just like, okay, this is, a, this is you know, you just laugh, yeah. you just laugh and laugh and laugh. But it's fun to do that with her, especially. I think that's one of the gifts that the Lord has given me and in, in having, I was, he's given me two incredible wives. I was speaking in a church yesterday in Denver mm-hmm. and, and somebody came and said, the Lord has blessed you with two incredible mm-hmm. wives. Wow. Very few people are blessed with even one in their lifetime. And, and he's given you two Proverbs 31 women. It was just like, wow, yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. One of the, one of the distinct characteristics of Christy is that we just, we just laugh and mm-hmm. it's, it's just so fun. So I love that. Well, my last question is, um, since this podcast is called Desperate for Hope, I, I love to ask my guests, what is one practical way you found hope in the midst of your suffering when you felt mm. desperate? That's a really good question. I mean, aside from all the things that we've talked about in this conversation so far, I think one of the things that that has where I've found hope is dreaming again. Mm-hmm. You know, when you experience the loss of especially your best friend, your, your spouse, your soulmate, you spent so much time dreaming together mm-hmm. and thinking about what your life was going to look like and, and assuming that you were promised that, assuming that you were going to grow old together and that that's what God had for you. And, you know, um, none of us, even though we say till death do us part, none of us stands on, you know, in front of everybody taking our vows, thinking like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to experience this really tragic loss of one of, you know, either one of us. Yeah. And so you just kind of assume and you dream. And so, so you don't just lose that person, but you lose all of the dreams that corresponded to. And so I remember having to kind of reemerge from that a little bit, the death of those dreams and be okay with, and not be scared of dreaming again. Mm. Mm -hmm. Right. And not be scared of, the possibility that I could get my hopes up in something and, and it could, I, it could disappoint me. Right. Or I, those dreams could die. Mm-hmm. But I think now as we're kind of stepping into this new season and as Christy and I are dreaming together and as we're dreaming with our team and ministry and stuff, it's just, that brings me a lot of hope mm. because it, it feels very missional. Mm-hmm. It wakes me up every single day. It gives me some kind of, again, purpose, to propel me through my day. So even on the days that are tough, it's like, okay, I got this hope. I got this hope. What's interesting is scripture tells us the, that hope is produced out of suffering, mm. right? Yeah. That suffering produces for us perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Mm-hmm. And I always found that really, I couldn't reconcile. I didn't understand how suffering produced hope mm. until walking through this. Mm. That suffering forces us to really anchor ourselves in our hope. And that is Jesus. Yeah. And so no matter what we go through, no matter if quote unquote, our dreams, you know, as practically as I'm speaking about our dreams, no matter if those become fulfilled or or they don't, the real true one hope that we have is the Lord. Mm. And I don't, I don't mean that in a very, in a real trite way. I just, I absolutely, we, we, when you go through suffering, you realize he is our hope. Wow, well, I can't think of a better way to end than those words. When you go through suffering, you realize that Jesus is our hope. So thank you so much, Davey, for joining me today. This was a wonderful conversation. Thanks for listening to the Desperate for Hope podcast. This podcast is being released with my upcoming Bible study, Desperate for Hope, Questions We Ask God in Suffering, Loss, and Longing, in which I explore the questions that many of us have asked God in our pain. To learn more about this study, other resources, and my guests, visit my website at vanitha.com and check out the show notes. If you enjoyed listening to this show, please consider rating it. 
and subscribe so you can get new episodes as soon as they come out.